Amen. You can be seated. Can you guys give these guys a hand? This is, this is a testimony to what God does um, among his people. You've got uh, evidence of leadership and John being gone. They didn't skip a beat. Um, and thank you especially to Reuben and Brenda for putting together everything for the practice they put together on Thursday and making that all come together. We also have missionaries here. I don't know if you guys realize it. Two of the guys up there are missionaries from Fellowship Church. They traveled a long way to go on the mission field. Um, and just blessed to have everybody up here leading us in worship. Well, welcome. If this is your first time, we're glad to have you here. My name is David Mathis. Uh, I keep messing this up. I, I'm calling myself the English-speaking pastor, but we both speak English. I, I'm, I'm the... <laughs> I guess you could say the English pastor, or the pastor that mostly speaks during the English service. Um, and Ruben Barbosa over here uh, mostly speaks during the Spanish service. Um, and God has called us as a church to be two languages as a church, one body, one family, one hope in Jesus Christ. Um, thrilled about what God's doing in this family. Last week, we got to enjoy uh, our first One Hope service. And boy, that was, that was really cool to see uh, well, there was a lot of words because we had to say everything in English and Spanish um, and learned a little bit about what you can fit into this amount of time. But I believe God had his hand on that. We got to celebrate new babies. We got to just celebrate what God was doing in our family as a church. Our, our intention um, is that maybe once a quarter, uh, we'll try to do a One Hope service um, so that we still remember who we all are um, and walk in this. Well, this morning we are continuing through Ephesians, and we've made it halfway uh, through Ephesians. And there's a pretty big shift now in focus of what, what Paul is giving us in this letter. That first half was really establishing the foundation of what, what God has uh, intended in the church um, and God's love for us. Uh, and, and now we're going to get into this practical side of what, what God is doing and get actual direction on what he wants us to do in our own lives, how to live as a church, and as families, and as individuals. Um, did you know you have a calling on your life? To some of us, they hear that and, and go, I have a calling on my life? I'm just trying to survive in my life. Uh, others of us, like, yes, I've got a calling in my life. I'm, I'm always looking at what my purpose here is on earth. And, and, and some of you are, are those leaders that, that are out there and, and establishing yourself in the community and, and following a purpose that, that you see that you've been made to do in your life. Um, God has a calling on our life, and it's unique to you. Um, it's also a part of a calling that God has on us as a church, a calling that God has on us as a community of believers around the world. Um, I think sometimes we might know that in our head, but do you really know in your life that there is a very specific and personal calling that God has on your life? Um, we're going to look at that this morning as we dig into Ephesians. Um, we're starting uh, now in chapter 4. If you turn to Ephesians chapter 4 with me, we're going to look at the first six verses this morning. Let me go ahead and read those. Starting in verse 1, uh, Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Let's pray. Father, we commit this morning into your hands. I cannot hope as a pastor uh, to teach with power apart from your Holy Spirit. God, we can't hope as a church 
to really take in your word in a way that's going to be effective in our lives apart from the power of your Holy Spirit. So God, we ask you to do a work this morning. Give me the words to speak. Guide me in what I say so that I would deliver your truth from your word in a way that we can understand it this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So at the beginning of this, Paul says, I therefore, and if you haven't heard it before, whenever you see a therefore, you want to know what it's there for. Um, And that goes back. What did he just say? And this therefore, I believe, is is because of everything that we have covered so far. All first three chapters of Ephesians is that therefore. I, Paul, therefore, because of everything I have said since the beginning. What have we covered? Chapter one was from God's perspective, the before the foundation of the world perspective, God's intentions towards us, his love towards us, him choosing us, to be adopted from before the foundations of the world. These awesome statements like that. And and God's intention to make us holy and blameless before him and and to include us in this plan to unite all things in Christ. And we saw there in chapter one uh, just the power of God in in raising Christ from the dead and seating him on high above every name, above every power and authority, and giving him as, all, as head over all things to the church. There's that awesome beginning foundation from the God perspective of what God has done and his intentions towards us. And then we shifted in chapter 2 to more kind of our perspective of God's love towards us and seeing from the beginning how uh, we were dead in our sin. Uh, there in the beginning of chapter 2, walking according to the ways of this world. And then, then we get that, that wonderful transition, but God, and then this experience of what God has done in sending his son to die for our sin and to take the punishment upon himself so that now uh, we have been reconciled to God. But not only that, we see in, in chapter 2 how God has, by reconciling us to him, has reconciled us now to each other so that now not only are, are the Jews, who are the ones who first uh, received the promises of God, not only are they reconciled to God, but Gentiles also, and God has taken multiple peoples and made one person in Christ, and he has broken down walls of hostility, not just between us and God, but between us and each other. And then we see there in the end of chapter 2, God's purpose now built on the foundation of Christ who is the cornerstone, who, who starts and sets everything in this new body that's being built uh, on Christ and this foundation that was laid by the apostles and prophets in the New Testament uh, that we have as the Word of God and, and was at the beginnings of this church, this body that God is building on Christ uh, as a body that, that is to be a place for the presence of God. How incredible... Uh, God's plan and love towards us and what he's doing, um, all built in the power of the Holy Spirit. And then we saw in chapter 3, as Paul um, spoke a little bit of his own life and, and his own calling, a very specific calling in setting, being a part of setting the foundation of the church. That was part of Paul's very specific calling. Um, and, and to make known that this wasn't just for the Jews, that this was for the Gentiles also, it's for everybody And what God was doing to unite all of us in Christ was this thing now that that was a testimony of his wisdom and power, not just to the people of this world, but to heavenly powers and the cosmic authorities that are out there of something greater than we can see that God is doing um, in this purpose that that is here in this church and what he's doing through us. And then we saw... um, Last, not last week, but two weeks ago, we skipped a week, um, Paul's prayer, just that we would know, to put it really shortly, that we would know the fullness of what God has done for us, that we would know the full extent of his love, that we would be filled with the fullness of who he is in our life. And so now Paul says, okay, all of that, therefore, now We're going to talk about what that means practically in our life. It says, I therefore, 
a prisoner for the Lord. He's kind of reminding us back to last chapter what he was talking about, that his own life he saw as so much being for the Lord and his calling, everything about his life being part of the calling that God had put on his life, that even his imprisonment was serving for the Lord. And he, he unpacked a, a little bit of, of what that uh, purpose was, that even in his imprisonment, God was using that to reach Rome and reach the Gentiles. And part of that purpose God was accomplishing in his life. So he, he's kind of just hinting at that again. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So I have a calling on my life. What is that calling all about? So look with me uh, in 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2 in verse 12. Another passage which speaks of walking I even put a bookmark, and I can't flip to it fast enough. There we go. First Thessalonians chapter 2, in verse 12, uh, this is Paul again writing a, a letter to Thessalonica, and he says, We exhort each one of you and encourage you and charge you to walk, which, by the way, when you're using this word walk, talking about living your life out, it's not just walk like this. There's a certain movie where walk like, I don't know, young Frankenstein. No, walk this way. Um, I didn't plan that to come into the sermon. <laughs> but when he's talking about walk here, he's talking about how we live out our life. And he's saying, I charge you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. What is the calling? He's calling us into everything that was described in chapters 1 through 3. God's purpose to unite a people in Christ, to unite all things in Christ, to build this body founded on Christ and, the, and, and this, this body to be a church that, that is a place for the presence of God to dwell, this purpose of the kingdom of God that's at work now around us, and ultimately, there's this purpose that, that's going to be fulfilled in glory that is our hope. He's calling us into that. And, and now he's wanting us to walk worthy of that calling. Back in Ephesians chapter 4, we also see the term call in, in verse 4, which says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. Our calling as a church, as a people, as individuals, is a calling into something that has incredible hope, and it's what we've been talking about since the beginning of this series. Called to participate in what God is doing. So how much... Um, how much of my life does this involve? Is this just uh, when we get together as Hope Church? Um, is it just on Sundays? Is it, is it just within our hope groups? What's the extent of this call in my life? When I'm looking at the equation of my life and the different things that take up my time, um, how much of my life is this call? If we look back again, what we covered in chapter 2 at the very beginning. What were we called out of? In chapter 2, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. That's the life we're called out of. What are we called into? In verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It is my whole life that God has called to this purpose. And I think it's, it's even better to, to listen directly from Jesus' words um, I've got a few passages to turn to this morning, so I'll be jumping around unless you just want to look up in the front. 
Um, but if we look in, in Luke um, chapter 9, turn with me there. Let's see what Jesus said about how much of my life is involved here. In verse 23 of chapter 9, Jesus said to all who were there, if anyone would come after me, if you want to follow Jesus, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. What's that about? Whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. What's that life? If I'm holding on to this life that I have, God, you can't have every part of my life. What am I holding on to? I'm holding on to the beginning of Ephesians chapter 2. That life that's dead in sin, walking according to the ways of this world. He's saving me out of that. That whole life, is buried with Christ. And there's a whole new life that God has for me. So if I'm holding on to that past life, that that life is destined for judgment. That life is going to die. But if I put to death that life, then I'm going to save my life, real life that I have in Christ. And that's a life that's going to go on for eternity, a life that begins now in newness and and is changing everything about me and everything about the relationships that I'm in and has hope of glory that goes on to eternity. So Jesus says, whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. And what does that look like now practically is that daily now, I'm going to be in this exercise of taking up my cross and following Jesus. Because even though that life has been buried and crucified with Christ, it's still a part of my experience right now. I still deal with sin. I still deal with stuff in my life that are desires for things that are not what God wants me to do. It's not following Jesus. And so if I'm going to be following Jesus now, Jesus says daily now, take up your cross. Put to death that old life and follow me. Put that aside. And that's going to be now a daily practice of following Christ in our life. So how much of my life is it? This is going to affect every part of my life. From when I wake up in the morning, going to work, and coming back home being with my family, going to bed, everything that I do now, there's going to be some exercise of taking up my cross, putting aside my old life, and following Christ. So as we get into the second half of Ephesians, it's, it's critical that we understand this rightly because we're going to get into a lot of do's and don'ts. We actually feel more comfortable as a church when we have lists of do's and don'ts. Um, because that's how we think. Uh, But in this, there's no place where we're earning brownie points with God. That's not what it's about. There's no place where we're earning God's favor. That's not what it's about. There's no place in here where where we're kind of accomplishing different levels of Christianity, that I'm, I'm at this level and you're at that level and we're growing in our levels of Christianity and now, you know, I get a badge because I'm a super Christian. That's not gonna be what we get to in here. This is all about what it looks like practically to follow Christ. And as we look into it, we need to understand what God's purpose is in it. Because I think we run the risk as we get into the details of missing the big picture. At work, um, this is something that happens in just normal business. Uh, I've, I worked for 14 years at Qualcomm, and... I was in a department within a department within a department, and we could spend two months on something, building it towards some purpose, and at the end of that, not really be able to connect the dots on, did that even make a difference to the bottom line? Is this even in line with where the company's going? And you'd have divisions that would just get dropped off, and 
and this disconnect, just because it's such a huge company, between what I was doing today and what the big picture purpose was of what we're doing. Well, we don't have to have that here um, in our church because we each have a personal relationship with the CEO. <laughs> um, we're, we're, we should be very tied into what the big purpose is of what God is doing here in this body. I can tell you God's purpose is unity. And it's something we don't always connect the dots on. And we don't always see how big of a deal that is to God. God's purpose is unity. And I'm talking about in the practical world of what's going on. Ultimately, and we can see God's big purpose is his own glory. And, and that, that is the right purpose of what this all comes to. But God, when we're looking at practically what God is doing in our church and what he's directing us to as a body, as families, as individuals, there's this purpose of unity that we need to understand that's there because as soon as we're in that purpose, it's no longer just about me. It's about me in a relationship. God's purpose is unity. And we saw that at the beginning. Um, if you turn with me back to chapter 1, um, in verse 9, and we're looking at the big picture, God's purpose of what he's accomplishing. Uh, in verse 9, it says, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. There is a big picture purpose that God has that is uniting all things in heaven and earth in Christ, in him. And we are a part of that big picture purpose. And that purpose comes down, all the way down into our individual relationships. God's purpose of unity. And it is relationship. Um, if you're not into relationships, let God work on you in that. Because everything is about relationship here. God has called us into relationship with himself. That's, if you want to see what, what sets apart what we're doing from religion, this isn't religion. Religion has this fake surface layer to it that I'm just putting on something. No, what God has called us into is a relationship with himself. We shouldn't worry about how all this looks, how I look whatever process we follow. All of that is extra. What, what's real here and what, what, is, what is my reason for leaving a job and saying this is worth it is because there's something real. It's a relationship with God himself, a relationship with Christ. That's why we're here. It's relationship. And, and not only has God called us into relationship with himself, but God has called us to have relationship with each other. You can't be a part of the full picture of what God's doing and not be a part of his church because that's his plan, to unite things in Christ. And it's in relationship that he's doing that. So if you look again, let's just read through one through six. Um, let's see God's purpose. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Unity and peace go together. Uh, people say, I want world peace. <laughs> well, you want what God wants. God wants unity. He wants peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So I want to work backwards through these verses because uh, they all are kind of building. Um, they're building upward, but if we go backwards, we can kind of see where, how we get to where we're at at the beginning of it. Um, there in verse 6, one God and Father of all. That looks very much like a verse we tackled uh, two weeks ago, 
uh, in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14, when Paul's saying, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth is named. And if you remember the name, the Greek word for father and the Greek name for family are very similar. It's uh, uh, patera and patria. Um, and, and there's a play on words there, but it's, it's saying, I, I bow my knees, I worship and submit to the Father who is, who is above all and from who every family, nation, people group, uh, even, even host of angels in, in heaven and earth, everything has come from him. He is the one, and he is one God, there in verse 6. That's going back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Uh, we call it the Shema. We're mispronouncing it. It's, a sh- it's Shema, I think, is, is what you'd say. Uh, it's, if you were a practicing Jew today, it's the beginning of a prayer that you would pray every morning when you get up and every evening before you go to bed. Um, the reason they call it the Shema is that's the first word when, in the prayer. It starts with Shema. Um, and that beginning there, it says, Behold, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. In God there is perfect unity. And we're not going to have time to go into the doctrine of the Trinity, but there are three persons in the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, each of them fully God, but there is one God. That is the doctrine of the Trinity. And in the persons of the Trinity, we have perfect unity, absolutely perfect unity and perfect peace. So that's where we start. It's from God himself. Verse 6. I'm in the wrong chapter. There we go. Verse 6. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And then verse 5. One Lord, that's Jesus Christ, who is over the church. Uh, One Lord, one faith. We all share one faith in Jesus Christ. Um, One baptism. That's the expression of our faith. We all are in in one, in, in our relationship to Christ. We have one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And then in verse 4, there is one body. It's not just Hope Church. It's not just Fellowship Church. Ultimately, what he's talking about here is the one body of everyone who's put their faith in Jesus Christ. This is the one body that Christ was given as head over all things. This is the body of Christ. And there's one body and one spirit. So when we say, Hope Church, we are united in one hope. That's what comes up here. Just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. <clears throat> we have that in reality because there is one spirit of God working in all of us. That is the only way that, that what we're giving lip service to becomes and is a reality because of the one spirit that resides in us through faith. And then in verse 3. He says, be eager to maintain that unity, the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Church, we have unity in a unique unique way already that God has accomplished between two groups that don't all speak the same language. And I love it. We should be eager to maintain that unity. We have unity as a body even within those who speak the same language. We should be eager to maintain that unity that is there because of what we have in the Spirit of God. Reuben and I set out on this journey to co-pastor a church. Um, We got lots of counsel as to how that could go badly, right? Um, It could still go badly. But we trust in the unity that comes in the Spirit and can only come in the power of the Spirit. And we trust that God has led us to this. This isn't normal and this isn't for every church. Um, when we first set on this, I, I honestly didn't know Reuben that well when we first said, okay, Lord, this is what you're leading us to. He didn't know me that well. There was a lot of faith involved. Okay, God, I sure hope we get along Praise the Lord that we do. I'm still getting to know Reuben. There's a lot to get to know about Reuben. (laughs) Likewise. 
But see, I know, I know that Reuben has the Spirit of God in him. I know that Reuben desires what God desires for this church. I know Reuben's heart for the gospel. Even when we don't see the same way about things, the things that are important, that are foundational, I know what Reuben's heart is. And in that, the Spirit of God, I'm trusting, is going to give me unity with Reuben in the purpose that God has for us. And it's just a matter of us two knuckleheads getting together and figuring out what it is that God has for us. And once we figure that out, then we're on the same page. Not because Reuben and I somehow magically are always going to be of the same mind, no. But because we have unity in the Spirit of God and what He's doing. Praise the Lord for, for that. It is an area that we do depend on the power of God, and we need prayer in that. But no less do each of you depend on the power of God to have spirit-empowered unity with those around you, with those around you in this church, with those in your family. God's purpose of unity is empowered by the Holy Spirit, and we need him in there. So then going back further into verse 2, we have characteristics that are necessary in order to have unity. And um, there's a lot more than these. Uh, this, is, this is fruit of the Spirit, really, is what we're looking at here. But he says, with all humility. Humility. God has called us to be humble. Why? Not because I get brownie points for having a pious and humble attitude. No, because his purpose is unity. And in order to have unity, you've got to have humility. Got to connect the dots on why these things are here. We need to be humble. Let's look um, another passage that we've already covered. In chapter 2, in verse 8. For by grace you have been saved. That's all of us who have put our faith in Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. We're all on an equal plane here. We all needed God's grace. We all received God's grace through faith, through no merit of our own. There is no super-Christian. Like I said before, we're not somehow going up through the ranks, earning different places as being a greater Christian than this Christian. No, God doesn't play favorites. He wants us all to consider each other more than ourselves. That's humility. And the greatest example of humility that we have is in Christ. He also says patience, gentleness, patience. Gentleness is is not responding harshly. Um, It's also a word used in Galatians chapter 6 to describe how how we help somebody that's been caught in sin. And, and this is something, especially if it's a sin where maybe we look better because of their sin, uh, we might be tempted to deal harshly with that. And he says, if someone's caught in sin, I want you to restore them gently. Gentleness is important for our unity in dealing with the faults of those that are around us. Um, he says, patience, bearing with one another in love. He's assuming that you're going to run into the differences of those around you. You're going to have to be patient with people around you. You are going to have to bear their weaknesses, their faults. And this is going to be an expression of love. That's agape love, which is the Greek word. There's multiple loves in Greek. Uh, agape love. It's, it's a sacrificial love. It, it's, it's not going to necessarily feel good in order to, to do that for them, but it is an, an act of love towards those around you, bearing with them in patience. You know, the closer you get to somebody, the more 
you get to know their weaknesses, the more you get to know their faults. The closer I get to Reuben, the more I'm going to know where Reuben has weaknesses. I'm going to know where God's working on Reuben. He's going to know, he's going to discover the things about David where, you know, those are David's weaknesses. David doesn't do so well right there. In our marriages, in our relationships, the closer we get to somebody, the more we discover what their faults are and their weaknesses. And you know what? We tend uh, to be extra critical about those weaknesses in people that match our own. I don't know why that is, but we recognize those the best, and we are the most critical about those. Oh, no, that person. And we tend to label. We tend to identify people by their weaknesses. Sometimes we identify ourselves by, our, by, by my weakness. You know, I am a person who, and that is who I am. Praise the Lord that God did not see us that way. But when he looked at us in our sin, in the beginning of chapter 2, and you were dead in your sin, he didn't say, oh, those are dead people, dead in their sin. That was the truth of our condition there, but he saw us in the way that he was going to make us which is to be in the image of his son in glory. That's how he saw us. So when you're looking at your brother and sister, when you're looking at the people in your family, are you seeing them and identifying them by their weakness? As those weaknesses are exposed, as you get close in relationship and you start feeling the need and you have to bear with and be patient with the faults of those that are around you, are you identifying them as that? Or are you seeing them the way that God sees them, being made and conformed into the image of his son. And those are things that he is changing in them. Boy, that can be difficult. There is, I believe, the key. Uh, maybe There's other things, too, that we can do. But, but the number one key for us to deal with that in ourselves, when we get to that point where we're just struggling, with pride, or we're struggling with, uh, with being harsh towards somebody, or or maybe someone said something. Boy, the hairs on my neck just went up, and and I tensed up my muscles, and and I and boy, I'm defensive against what they just said, and that is not okay. What they just said, and I'm about to just tell them how that's not okay. What they just said. What do I do in that moment to put myself in the right place? Because those moments come up a lot in every relationship. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 2, another letter that Paul was writing around the same time from the same prison. And he had in, in chapter 1 already used similar language, saying, you know, walk worthy. Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And then he gets into chapter 2 here. And in verse 2, he says, complete my joy by being of the same mind. Sound familiar? We're talking about unity again. Having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. This sounds very familiar. This is what we've been talking about. Now, here's the key. Having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. This is a mindset that we already have because we are in Christ. Christ is in us. We have this mindset that is Christ's. And what is this mindset? Verse 6, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. This is speaking of Jesus before he became a man. This is a great verse, by the way, on the doctrine of the Trinity. Uh, he was equal with God. Jesus, fully God, did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but instead he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. When the hair on my back stands up, I have one place to look, at the cross. 
because nothing I have compares. My pride, whatever I have, that, that I feel like I am so much that I have been offended, whatever it is, there is nothing compared to God Almighty humbling himself to the point of the cross for me. And so I have no place. I only have to look to the cross and say, God, set my heart right again. Up late at night, not able to sleep because I'm in turmoil over some relationship and thing, and I'm just going through my mind this conversation that that I'm going to just set them straight, and here's what I should have said, and here's what I'm going to say. I look to the cross and say, God, forgive me. Help me to forgive them, because maybe they really did hurt you. Maybe they really did do something to offend you, and you technically are in the right. But who was more in the right than God himself who went to the cross? I have no place to hold on to that. But once I've laid it at the cross, then maybe I can speak into that relationship in a way that's going to glorify God and is going to actually make that relationship turn into something good. We look to the cross. You know what's amazing in this walk with Christ? As he's shaping my character, as he's teaching me over and over again these different things, how to be humble, how to be long-suffering with someone, how, how to love even when that's not the comfortable thing to do. So this is all about relationships. And when you see a person, you say, that person, I'm going to see them through God's eyes and not just see where they're at now, but see what God is making them to be. And when I I look at myself and I see I'm not just looking at at where I'm at now and that's where I'm stuck, but but God is working on those areas and and I'm going to see the direction that God is working in my life or who he's making to be. We can look at our relationships the same way. Sometimes we look at a relationship and say, well, that's broken and irreparable. That is what it is, and I just don't want to touch it anymore because there's hurt there, and so I'm going to just move on, and that's going to stay there. What was God's purpose? His unity. His broken relationship, unity? No. Let's not see our relationships as stuck because we're not seeing the character that God is working in us as stuck. Praise the Lord that God's working in my wife and me at the same time. Because over time, our relationship has deepened. The intimacy that we have has deepened. And what we have now is not as good and as intimate and as perfect as what it will be next year. I know because God is actively working in both of us. God is all about relationship and peace in our relationships. And sometimes... um, Relationships are two ways. If the person on the other side of the relationship is not seeking the Lord, maybe they don't know the Lord. It's not going to move very far. But if we are investing and praying into that relationship, maybe they come to know the Lord. And there's a radical change there that now you don't know what that relationship could look like a year, five years from now. So let's see things through God's eyes and what he can do. Some of the most amazing things that are glory, that, that glorify God are when he brings reconciliation into impossible situations. And I've seen him do it. Absolutely impossible situations. God has brought reconciliation to his glory. All right. One final thought I want us to get. First, I have a calling on my life. God's purpose is unity. And finally, this is only possible in the strength of his might. Only possible in the strength of his might. Look back to what we read uh, two weeks ago, chapter 3, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to what? According to the power at work within us, it's his power within us at work that's causing us to get to this place where I can have humility, where I can have love towards those who aren't deserving of love in my mind. It's his power that accomplishes that. We had that uh, 
in verse 3 of chapter 4, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. This is a unity brought on by the power of the Holy Spirit at work. It is His power at work within us. So what do we do, church, when we run into those situations where we're dealing with our own pride? We look to the cross. What do we do? What action do I take? Where do I put my effort? Because we're going to find times where we go, boy, I got to work on my temper, whatever it is. I got to work on, boy, my pride, I just, I'm struggling with that. I got to just work on that, work on that, work on that. That's going to be part of our experience is just feeling that conviction. Boy, I've got to work on that. And as we go through Ephesians, um, I pray that we do run into things where we go, boy, that's an area I got to work on. But if that's the whole substance of what we do, say that's an area I've got to work on, and then we make it our all to work on that area, it's not going to work. You might get a little bit, but it's going to fizzle out. It's going to be in your own strength. It's going to be your own thing, that you're working hard to be something that you're not right now. Turn with me to John chapter 15. Go hear from Jesus' words again. Jesus say? John chapter 15, verses 4 and 5. Jesus says, Abide in me, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. We have fruit trees. If I was to lop off a branch, that branch is not going to bear fruit. I don't think it is anyway because froze my peach blossoms, but that branch has no chance of bearing fruit on its own. Everything that it needs to bear fruit comes from the tree, from the vine. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, abiding means, means to stay with, to be with, just like a branch hanging on to that tree. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, how much are you going to accomplish? Nothing. So when we run into those things in the book of Ephesians where the Spirit of God convicts us and says, here's an area that you need to work on, we go where? We go to Jesus. We go to his word. We get on our knees and say, God, this is an area that I need to work on. And we spend time with him. We fill ourselves with him. And it's out of the overflow of intimacy and relationship with Christ that I'm going to see fruit in intimacy and relationship with those that are around me. It's first with Christ. And if I try to pursue filling and and mending these relationships around me and I don't pursue the closeness and intimacy and relationship with Christ first, that's going to fail because it's not going to be in the power of God. But when I spend time and effort in pursuing a relationship with Christ, from the moment I wake up to the moment I go to bed, God, what do you have for me to do? Jesus Show me in my life the things that you're working on. Show me the people around me that you're working through me to reach. In my work, that this, is, this is all about you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. And that relationship becomes close. Then we start to see something happen in the other areas of our life. Let's look at one more passage in, in Matthew chapter 11. Another way is just to read the Gospels. You're going to get a lot of words of Jesus in the Gospels. You're going to look for a place to start reading. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 and 29. Jesus says, 
Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. That's exactly what we're looking for. How do I become gentle and humble and lowly in heart? I spend time with my Lord and Savior, Jesus, and you will find rest for your souls. Boy, when we are fighting through relationships and dealing with things in our own power, that conflict that's keeping us up late at night, that is not rest. But when instead of fighting through those relationships, I surrender my life to Christ, then there's rest for my soul. Boy, that changes everything. Finally, if you're listening through all this and you never started a relationship with Christ, that's the place to start. And it's going to affect everything in your life. But most importantly, the most important relationship it's going to affect is the relationship between you and God. Because apart from Christ, we have no hope to be in relationship with God, and it's because of our own sin. That's what we covered in chapter 2. I was dead in my trespasses and sins. So if you don't know Christ, you don't have that relationship, it's through faith. The gospel is that God sent his son, Jesus, who was fully God before he sent him, but he sent him to become a man, to live a life here on earth, but without sin. Experiencing every temptation, every weakness that, that we experience, knowing all of our weakness and temptation, but without sin, because in the power of God, he was without sin. And then he went to the cross. And he paid the price for our sin, so that through faith in him, we could have forgiveness of our sins the thing that's keeping us from relationship with a holy God. But Jesus didn't stay dead. God raised him from the dead, and in the power that raised Christ, now is power that lives within us through faith in Christ so that we can have life even now on this earth where our relationships with God is being transformed and made new, but also our relationship with each other being made new and transformed. Father, I thank you for this morning. God, in all of us, I know your spirit is at work. I pray that we would, that we would be sensitive to your spirit. We would surrender to what you want to do in our lives because, God, we know it is good and it is for our good and it is for a purpose that's glorious. God, if anyone's here that doesn't know you and your spirit is working into their heart, I, I pray, God, that you would just put it in their heart to surrender. That they would yield their life to you. God, thank you for the work that you're doing in this church. Thank you for the hope that we have in you. God, I pray as we go through the rest of Ephesians that you would give us ways that we can grow in our relationship with each other, and our relationship with you, and that, God, you would give us the courage to take steps that you put in front of us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.